Welcome to Consumed, the podcast about people who eat things, drink things, think things, and make things. So, you know, everybody. I'm Jamie Lewis, and this seventh season, I speak with folks across California, from Chico to Santa Barbara, Humboldt and Grass Valley to Los Angeles. But always at the heart of it is the Central Coast. I hope you get to hear them all. Thank you for listening. Many thanks to my friend, James Onaveros for supporting the work of this podcast. James is the force behind the family of wines known as Ranchos de Anaveros in the Santa Maria Valley. And because all of our friends in the food and drink industry need a boost right now, I'm going to talk about how you can get your hands on some of his wine this winter. For the holidays, wine is the perfect locally made, handmade gift that directly supports those who work to produce it. And for January 1st and beyond, Drinking beautiful Burgundy-inspired Chardonnay and Pinot Noir is the perfect way to celebrate what we're all hoping is a kinder and gentler year. Visit the website for information on how to order Rancho Steanaveros wines, which can be shipped or delivered to your porch for free if you live around Santa Barbara County. To see what's available and to make your order, visit ranchosteanaveros.com. Cheers! Consumed is also sponsored in part by Slow Life Magazine, which has been sharing the stories of the San Luis Obispo community for over a decade. I write the food column for Slow Life, and most recently I covered dishes made from ingredients that aren't always common here on the Central Coast. I'm considering writing about bow-steamed buns for the next column, but what do you think? Hit me up on the contact page at letsgetconsumed.com with your ideas for what to cover next. And if you want Slow Life Magazine delivered to your door every other month, visit slowlifemagazine.com. Some of my life's happiest moments have occurred at a table at Chef Clark Staub's restaurant full of life flatbread in Los Alamos, California. The flatbread pizzas, the salads, the other dishes, as well as the wine and beer selection, they're all absolutely delicious and forward-thinking. Clark was one of the first chefs on the Central Coast to name-check farms and ranches for their contribution of ingredients to each dish. He also blazed the trail for other restaurants to set up shop in this little cow town that could of Los Alamos. But the thing I like most about flatbread, as the locals call it, is the warmth and generosity of the place. That is an extension of Clark, who is an erudite and multifaceted chef with a bit of an artist's flair. I sat down with him to talk about how he and Flatbread have changed over time, about his years as a record company executive, and how that career prepared him for the food business. We also talk about snowboarding and cookbooks, and I shamelessly fangirl about Radiohead. Clark is an easy listen. I hope you get a kick out of his story the same way I did. Here's Clark Staub. Clark Staub, thank you so much for coming to my backyard. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I'm a big San Luis Obispo fan. You, uh, do you come up here often? I lived in a Rail Grande for um, almost 10 years. And Did you really? My mom, when my father passed away um, a little over 10 years ago, uh, the house I grew up in, my mom just down in Orange County, my mom called me one day and she goes, Guess what? I just sold the house. And she wanted to live up here. And I think in her mind, even though she'd been up here to visit, I think in her mind, everybody lived on the beach here. I think that and, happens. And, I yeah. Think people and believe so that. she did. She moved up here. She sold the house. She, we got her. My sister and I found her a place up here uh, on Laguna Lake. Yeah. Um, so she wasn't on the beach, but she her backyard was was the lake. Get she out of here. No Mom back, lived on Laguna Lake. Yeah. She had no back fence. She was right there. On, and, and she lived there for... You know, as long as she wanted to, and then she uh, 
she made the decisions all along the way, and, and we had her in a home right here, at the, right down the creek. The villages. Yeah. Oh, the get villages, out of here. Which was, a, which, you know, and, and again, this was all her decisions and her choices, mm-hmm. and, and she's been gone now three years. So. Oh, wow. So you, that's so funny. We've lived here about three years. You probably have been, we've probably crossed paths quite a bit. But my husband and I always say that when we are... Um, ready to go into assisted living, that's the place we want to go. That place is awesome. Yeah, they were very cool. They're, I mean, you know, there was some hiccups along the way. There was no part sure. of, of theirs. But, you know, it's just it's a shame when you see the scams that, you know, oh, I know. people and information that they can get and then call a person that's uncertain, uh, <sighs> you know. And, and so I'm watching that with my wife's parents right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're 89. And, you know, they just constantly get these people, oh, you hired us to build a fence. And, you know, he's like, Taking no, I didn't. Advantage. And, yeah. And so we're on that right now. Oh, my gosh. Down in Venice. So. They, I've heard it referred to as the squeeze where you are um, dealing with, you know, putting kids in college or, or, you know, they're maturing as your parents are maturing and you're having to mm-hmm. handle both on both sides. And, yeah. um, yeah, I feel for people who are in that squeeze position. Okay. But, but I love this area here yes. where the Creek comes through and yeah. 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 So. Well, so if your mom was here, you obviously didn't grow up here. Where did you grow up? No, we grew up between Orange County and Mammoth. Okay. And so my dad had bought property on Mammoth after World War II and he was one of the early ones up there and 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 built a place and we were just talking about the tree that fell in your backyard yes. and uh we in, <laughs> in 1969 when I was a youngin but I was seven years old a tree fell on our house in Mammoth and you know pretty much destroyed it but fortunately my dad was insured and mm-hmm. we were able to rebuild and so we had a, a very nice place that we rebuilt there and had that up till the early 2000s did you guys go up there every weekend like yes. i know so many people yes. do that <laughs> yeah. yeah and we have so it's myself uh, there's four siblings so myself and three others and uh i was the only one that didn't grow to hate that and and we <laughs> literally would leave on friday night or yeah. early Saturday morning at like four in the morning and go up there and spend Saturday and Sunday and come back on Sunday night or Monday morning early and sure. did that every single weekend. And then, you know, my dad was in aerospace and I have no, you know, I, and he, ne- he was of that era that he doesn't talk about it, but you know, mm-hmm. I'm, it seems like we were up there for two weeks at Thanksgiving and we were up there for two yeah. weeks at Christmas and, you know, we'd go up there in the middle of summer and I'm like, how did you have your job and do that? <laughs> <laughs> so, were you employed? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, my that's funny. My husband um, grew up in North San Diego County, so you know, it's basically um, Orange County. His family had a place up in Big Bear. Still, they still do, yep. and they would go up every weekend. So he's a pretty, pretty good um, snowboarder, skier. Do you do that still? Uh, I I I went. Um, I did it quite extensively. In fact, I. I uh, will get to it later, but I I played a role in global branding for Burton Snowboards for oh, a bit. Oh, of course and you so, did. That's um, right. But we went. I I have not rid. I haven't ridden. I grew up skiing and then switched over to snowboarding. I I don't know. Uh, I can't remember <laughs> in the late nineties. <laughs> and um, yeah, my wife. So what's funny is um, we went. My wife and I went uh, um, to Mammoth two years ago and she had opened a restaurant up there. She had been hired to help open a restaurant up there 
and so she was good friends with one of the senior guys at, at Mammoth and you know and so I took her up showed her the house I grew up in and and uh we were riding and the funny story is that you know my wife is um short stature she's mm-hmm. you know and when you grow up I could just put it this way without trying to sound mean, but how many people say they're great skiers or they're great snowboarders no. and then you go with them and, the, you know, it's like you, <laughs> which is actually why I started snowboarding because I went with somebody who couldn't keep up and I wasn't trying to like outdo them. Sure. And so I had never snowboarded, but grew up competitively skateboarding. And so I rented a snowboard at, at lunch mm-hmm. and never having been on a snowboard. And by the end of the day, I was still outpacing the person on skis, but, um, <laughs> So it was really one of these moments of, uh, you know, of <laughs> clarity when, you know, I go up with my wife to Mammoth and um, we get out there and she said she was a good skier. Oh, no. Oh, my. No, my God. <laughs> oh, she like was really amazing. Good. Okay, good. Well, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, and, I, and I, I put it to a low center of gravity. and But, man, she was really good. And out of the gate, you know, we were keeping up with each other and it's the first time in my life that's ever happened well isn't that handy yeah it was to go out with your wife yeah yeah my husband wishes i would go out with him but there's a long history there i i promised him i would learn how to snowboard and then we went to the alps in switzerland and i cried on the mountain and i said i hate this and (laughs) i went down (laughs) i went down and sat in a cafe all day while he was on his own up there so there you go yeah that didn't really work out so you grew up in southern california so you're a real californian i mean i know that you drive down to la a lot to see so your wife is chef jill davy yes and so she has a restaurant that's been closed since march Mm -hmm. um they're holding on the lease. They don't know what they're going to do yet. It's on Venice Boulevard and in Mar Vista, which is just in on from Venice. And uh, and she's been up here with me, helping me kind of tackle this. And then, of course, today, tonight at midnight, starts the new purple tier shutdown. So right. we can still dine outside. And, and you've been to the restaurant. We have quite a bit of outside dining, but yeah. it is moving into winter. And, and you know, we'll... We'll switch to more takeout. Obviously, we takeout's really taken off for us Good. since this whole thing has started. But, you know, the first time around when this happened, none of us knew it was going to happen. And we just, we created this at, at Full of Life Flatbread. We kind of created this survival mode of doing takeout only and then bringing in a couple different things as a provision side of things. And then we actually started a, a, a separate, thing called Los Alamos delivers and mm-hmm. so because Los Alamos has turned into such a destination dining experience you know we were able to take orders from Goleta and Santa Barbara Montecito and then on Tuesdays from LA and then a friend of mine who had a surf camp who couldn't operate a surf camp um, we would we would do delivery runs and wow. uh, and we'd deliver for everybody in in Los Alamos and then we were also delivering for Frank at Hitching Post and it was it was amazing it was incredibly incredibly hard work yeah. it was and it was it was exceptionally rewarding to see you know what we were getting in terms of support but it i since march 11th which was when the shutdown started i mean i have had one day where i have not been in my building and it's exhausting so with the announcement yesterday that we're moving back words a bit which we need to Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, today is just kind of that day of 
after this I'll be, you know, thinking and Scurrying. looking at numbers. <laughs> and, oh my gosh. Oh my yeah. Gosh. So it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a challenge. Fortunately in San Inez Valley, which is where I'm located, you know, there's been a relatively light load in Santa Barbara County as here in San Luis County. Uh, you know, those numbers have been going up yes. pretty exponentially over the last couple uh, c- couple weeks. Well, and you look at the map, I, I was telling somebody recently, you look at the map um, on the New York Times and it's solid red in the middle of the country. And yes. it's just bound to, you know, bound to be a wave that goes both the east and west coast. I just didn't expect it to go... Who could have expected that it would go up by 81% yesterday across the nation, which is just crazy. I I don't want to talk about coronavirus the whole time because it's (laughs) depressing. But I will say that um, I think it's important that that independent business owners, independent um, restaurant owners are allowed to talk about the reality of what is happening right now Um, because it's so it's so brutal. I think I can say, right? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> an understatement. I don't want to speak for you, but I mean, you know, it's it's we're fortunate enough that we do have the outside space. Yes. And we're fortunate enough that we have the longevity of support that, you know, we get people that are supporting us. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 just um, it's just hard to fathom. I mean, it's it's hard to uh, um the first time around, no one knew what was going to go on. And so we went into this, you know, get stuff done, yeah, survival rally. mode. And, you know, now I'm trying to look backwards at what we did and what worked and what didn't work. And, and you know, make sure that we make sure that we choose the stuff that worked. Yes. And hopefully people people aren't fatigued. I mean, we've been very fortunate in that since we've been reopened, um, you know, when we when when they gave us the go ahead that we could seat partially indoors, we chose not to do that. Mm-hmm. So we were still just seating outside in the garden. Um, the same choice was made by Bells down the street, yeah. and so as long as we can stay in this, you know, outside dining situation, for now it should hopefully it won't have that much of an effect, mm-hmm. and then hopefully we won't go back to this complete shutdown. Mm-hmm. But for all the restaurants that you know don't have outside seating or aren't aren't able for whatever reason to pivot quickly um you know my wife's restaurant down in venice they tried and their food just didn't translate to a takeout model plus you've got just such a vast amount more restaurants down there yes so um so they decided you know to shut it down for the Mm -hmm. time being and and you're fortunate that you have that garden that's so sizable, too. Yeah. And also the style of your food lends itself to, like, a casual... Yes. I mean, it can go either direction, but it really... I mean, we dined down there, I don't know, a month ago, and, um, yeah, it really translates well to being outside. Well, we were in complete shutdown where it was takeout only. It was funny because we... Technically, we weren't supposed to let people eat in the garden, so we didn't. Mm-hmm. But we, <laughs> there was more than a few times I'd walk by the park. I'd just walk down to the park and look in the park, and you know there would be ten, fifteen, <laughs> you know, groups of people eating yeah. with pizza boxes, and yeah, you know, so that's not a bad night out. No, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, you you said that Los Alamos has become a destination, and um, I know I've said this to you before, but I really see that. Uh, as starting with you, uh, I hope it's not too strong 
to say that, but I mean, I remember I, I grew up on the central coast and, um, fell in love with food and I, uh, flatbread became a really integral part of how I came to really care about food. I was working in a winery, um, at Curtis winery down Mm -hmm. in San Inez and, um, I was there quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. And I was working on the weekends. Uh, I worked for the San Luis Obispo Symphony during the week. And uh, all the people from the tasting room would come up to Flatbread and have dinner. And it was such an industry spot. Um, But then I came down, my husband and I came down and we saw a movie from uh, Slow Food International. You screened a movie and you had like a course out dinner. And that was when I had this real wake up that the connection between the land and the food that we eat. I didn't grow up with a, um, I mean, I grew up really well, comfortably, safely, you know, um, well fed, but there wasn't a deep connection for me between the dirt and what I'm eating on my plate. And so to watch that film amidst people who care about that and to be dining on food that really expresses that was a seminal moment for me. Um, and thank so, you. yeah, you're what, thank you. And then, uh, so to watch Los Alamos blossom, because as far as I can remember, you were really the only game in town that was really doing the, um, farm to table for lack of yeah, a better we term. Came in, I mean, there was a, there was a, a wonderful little, um, so when I found the town, I was living in Vermont at the time, and but I knew I wanted to come out here, and I had had a bread bakery for four years down in Southern California, so I had some experience. And and in in my bread bakery in Southern California in Claremont, College Town, mm-hmm. you know we made bread and we did organic bread, and it was it was very much driven on the slow food movement. In 1999, I went off to Italy and went to a big slow food conference and. And uh, um, one of the things I ended up selling that business because I got offered a job with Burton Snowboards and you know relocated and sounded like a great job. But uh, we, I was working on a project. There was the um, there's a Buddhist monastery up on Mount Baldy, which mm-hmm. is where Leonard Cohen lived for ten years. Mm-hmm. And we were working on a project to try to put in a wood burning oven and have the have the buddhist make i would teach them and then they would make the bread and then we would sell them down in our in the bakery in claremont and with the proceeds going towards going towards the monastery and um it just never you know we toyed around with it and then i got offered this what seemed like a dream job and you know and, and ended up leaving there but um when i when i was coming out here trying to when i was coming back from vermont trying to figure out you know, where I wanted to put this idea of flatbread. Um, I went all over the Central Coast. I'm really good friends with um, Jim Edelman, who's mm-hmm. the winemaker over at Aubin Clement, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Jim Clendenin and Frank Ostini. And, you know, they've been friends for a long time. When I was in the music business, I used to come up and, you know, play winemaking with them and, mm-hmm. and just help them. Um, and so I, I kind of thought I wanted to have it around here, and we looked at a lot of different locations. And I ended up on Los Alamos to get gas on a fluke and there was uh there's of course charlie's burgers that's been there since 74 which actually does a really good job yeah. um he's got a second location up here uh Wait, and then where? where does he have a second location? he's near the college i forget the I, it's on foothill i think real 
okay. Well, yeah. wake up. I should go over there. Is it called Charlie's Burgers? Charlie's Burgers, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's good. Wait a minute. It, it's called Charlie's Place now, isn't Charlie's, it? Maybe, yeah. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. that's where we go for trivia. Oh, there you when, go. When, yeah, right. Yeah. So he, okay. so he was there, and then um, there was this funky little place down the street called Cafe Quackenbush, and it was a... Um, it was an art gallery with very progressive, some, you know, really kind of cons- standard art, but then some really progressive stuff. Mm-hmm. And Ralph Quackenbush was a painter. and uh, uh, But it wasn't just his stuff. So it was Cafe Quackenbush, which was like a breakfast, lunch, sort of coffee shop, if you will. Sounds awesome. With an art gallery. And then John Morley had a realty, uh, a realtor's business out of the top. And, you know, here I was in the middle of uh, what is a fairly, at that time, was fairly conservative, you know, mm-hmm. you'd call it a red state right now. But, uh, yeah. it, but I mean, it was a cow town. Yeah. And you had these three gay men running this cafe and art gallery. And I was like, whoa, this is, <laughs> and they're super nice people. And so they really, that sort of threw it over the top for me. I'm like, okay, if these guys can make a go here, like what I have in mind um, might work. And every single one of those friends, uh, Frank Ostini and Jim Clendenin, and every, every single one of them t- told me, don't do it. Yeah. Said, not there. And, um, but we did, we built it out and, uh, you know, and, and, and we didn't come out and hit people over the head with the fact that we're organic or local, mm-hmm. but we just started calling out, you know, farms that we were getting stuff from, which was standard practice, you know, mm-hmm. But it, it, and it's, and it slowly built. I mean, I've been there, we're going on 18 years. So it was it, that it, standard practice though. Not around here. Not around here, it? not around here, okay. but it was, you know, in, in some other more culinary cities like yeah. Berkeley or, yeah. you know, San Francisco or, um, but that, I mean, just to reiterate, that was not normal here. No, that no, was no, not, not at all. And so we, and then, you know, so, and then, you know, I, the first thing I did when I took over the building was, you know, build the, build our, the whole dining room uh centers around a big 20 ton stone oven that i built Mm -hmm. um which you know was like pulling teeth to get through the health department but we did it (laughs) and um but we built that uh and then sort of built the entire restaurant around that and um the building was there it was built to be a wine storage facility that never happened and so um there's a lot of a lot of drawbacks in that because it's it it was impossible to move walls and it was uh, because of the way the building was constructed and mm-hmm. and so we had to kind of make the restaurant fit into uh to an existing space and then the restaurant and again we're going on 18 years but the so the business plan when we started was not just the restaurant so i think people were looking at me saying you're not going to survive as a restaurant in that town. And I wouldn't have if I would have just been a restaurant. Um, but we also had a line of uh, my background in music is really in distribution and marketing and branding. And uh, we launched a frozen pizza line that we sold to grocery stores. Um, initially kind of locally in California. And one of the reasons we ended up in one of the, pluses of ending up in Los Alamos is that we were virtually halfway between LA and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And so those are the two major distribution hubs. And, uh, we were able to get backhauled. We didn't have to buy a truck. You know, we mm-hmm. could just, we could 
get open with these distributors, which was hard. Yeah. And then, uh, but once we got open with distributors, we went out and, you know, worked our butts off to make sure people knew what we were. And and it was frozen flatbreads. It was frozen flatbread pizzas. And we it did. was everywhere. Yeah, we did. We it, we ultimately, we were in about 42 states. Um, wow. Yeah, we were, you know, in all the Whole Foods and Safeways yeah. and, you know, New Frontiers and things like that. But um, I gave up on that about four years ago. I just, mm. with Whole Foods selling to Amazon, with the consolidation, um, it's really a lot of work for a very little return. And the way that I describe it, the way I have described it, is when we started the business, um, we, when we started the business, everybody out there wanted to be like whole foods mm, okay. you know and so and we and whole foods was a very early advocate yeah. for us we got into whole foods very early um and so but everybody wanted to be whole foods all the safeways mm. all the you know albertson's everybody yeah. um when the recession hit in 2008 everybody wanted to be like trader joe's <laughs> so then all of a sudden you started to have more mm. private label brands mm -hmm. which you know which is a whole different animal unto yes. itself, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I've I, worked on proprietary wine for Trader Joe's and other yeah. retailers and it is, it's a beast. And yes, it was right around that time. 2008 is when I got hired to do that. Yeah. And so what was interesting in 2008 during that, during that, the recession was we saw our wholesale line start to get eaten into by private label brands. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think at one point we went in and I'm forgetting the number exactly now, but we went in and Whole Foods had like seven different private label mm -hmm. pizza brands, frozen pizza brands there. And they were all Whole Foods, but they had different names and you know, it just made it more difficult on us to get that shelf space. But so we, we kept at it, but what happened during 2008, we opened in 2003 was our restaurant, business really started to go through the roof, which was yeah. completely unusual at that time. And, and, um, so our restaurant, you know, crowds and, and, and business was really clicking up at like 20% a year. And, um, and then of course we do, uh, you know, we were doing a lot of offsite stuff. So I have these trailers with, you know, pizza ovens on trailers and, and I built them originally initially to, go out and market the frozen pizzas. Mm. And so we would go and, you know, go to New Frontiers grand opening or, yeah. you know, I, I even used and to go here, to New Frontiers when they were over here. Oh, I, but, I miss that. But here you can, you know, you can taste this here, but then you can buy it inside. Yep, and, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but that's what we built it for. And then that started to morph into doing more, I call them field bakes, but you know, mm -hmm. it's catering and, mm -hmm. and that could be a wedding or it could be a party. Now that's something that, you know, this year, 2020 has completely disappeared. Um, I think I've done two weddings that were both very small, yeah. <laughs> very private and Ugh, kept gosh. a distance away. But Everything's changing. Yeah. Ugh. And it's starting to feel, uh, it's starting to feel more permanent, I think, because we're, you know, hedging in on a year. Yeah. I want to take a minute to tell you a little bit about one of my sponsors. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality products and exceptional customer service. 
community-owned slow food co-op buys from local producers, ensuring they offer their customers real and sustainable food. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and environmentally sustainable packaging. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. So in town there, in, in Los Alamos, I want to say it was about six, seven years ago, eight years ago, um, these, two, these two guys, a couple, uh, bought a building and turned it into Bell Street Farms Such a and did spot. a fantastic, fantastic yes. sort of French-ish sandwich place, yeah. uh, which really added to the town. You know, they were sort of next in Cafe Quackenbush, which, w- which was there, ended up selling the building and 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 they sold it to the henry will and callie henry and they put in pico which is there so it's like Um, building steam little by little it's well i shouldn't say little by little it felt like all of a sudden it was blowing up it it took a couple it took it took about four years Mm -hmm. for that i mean we sort of established the initial momentum but then you know, when Jamie came in with Bell Street Farms, it really helped a lot. And then um, Bob Oswax, who's got Bob's Wellbread there, he uh, he was a he is he was a very good customer of ours uh, when he was in the entertainment industry. And uh, and then you know he had a change of career and didn't know what he was going to do. And and I gave him he came in one night and you know he was sort of trying to figure out what he was going to do next. And I gave him a copy of my bread I gave him a copy of the tartine bread book and I gave him <laughs> a, a pint container of my uh my bread starter that I started back in 1988 um and I said here you need a hobby and so then you know I invited <laughs> him in and, and that's an amazing that's that's an amazing thing to give to the person who winds up being Bob's yeah. well-bred. And he ended up, and so, you know, I invited him in, and we would go through, uh, you know, sort of my techniques with bread and mm-hmm. and how I did it. And then he started baking his own and, and in my in the wood oven. And, we, you know, that lasted, I don't know, six months maybe. And, uh, and he has just completely taken to it. And sort of like all my friends that told me don't do this in Los Alamos and I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, once he really started to formulate this idea of uh having a bakery in Los Alamos, you know, I was I was I was telling him not to do it. You know, I was yeah. like, Bob, I had a bakery, a bread bakery, but I was in a college town. You know, like mm-hmm. you're in the middle of nowhere. And he's completely you know, blown away everybody's expectations. Yes. And, you know, it's it's a and uh, so the town, you know, and then along with the restaurants, um, uh, Shelter Social Club took over what was just like a flea bag hotel and <laughs> hipsterized it. And it's yes. sold out every weekend. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, um, you know, the people that have Granada here in San Luis, mm-hmm. they bought the Skyview and just did a spectacular yes, job of <clears throat> renovating the Skyview. So now, you know, you've got really cool places to stay mm-hmm. um you've got uh, a vibrant food scene dim sama is up within sonia's uh babby's beer emporium mm-hmm. um the food scene is off the chart daisy uh and greg mm-hmm. uh who have who have bells you know daisy was just voted by food and wine one of the top 
25 new chefs. Oh, I thought it was top 10. Top 10. You're right. Top yeah. 10. Yeah. And today, just today, in Esquire magazine, they yes. uh, announced the top 25 restaurants. That's what it was. And yeah. she's one of them. They're one of Amazing. them. Amazing. And so, um, you know, it's it's just, it's really been awesome for me to see. You know, we used to be open only on Friday night and Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the rest of the time we were doing It was a pisser for those of us who were like, yeah. let's make the trick. And then, <laughs> ah, it's closed. Yeah. yeah. So we were, you know, we, we were only open Friday and Saturday night and because of the wholesale frozen business and uh but now we're open thursday through sunday and we do lunch on saturday and sunday mm-hmm. and i still don't think you know bells is open on monday for lunch and dinner and uh, pico's open on tuesday for lunch and dinner but i, I don't think we're going to open any more hours mm-hmm. it just doesn't i'd rather do what we do and do it well mm-hmm. and do it in the hours that we choose yeah um, let's back up a little bit to your years in the music industry how did that happen <laughs> so do you play music no okay punk rock happened <laughs> oh did it yeah so it was, <laughs> i was in call i was in university at uh, cal state long beach stu- and studying physics and applied mathematics and uh was really into music and and had a job at a record store and the first punk rock record store in la and um and you know, it came time for your gra- it came time for your senior year, you know, job day interviews or whatever they call it, career day, and that was during the whole Reagan Star Wars program. Mm-hmm. And my grades weren't good enough to like go on, and I could have become, you know, like a high school teacher or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, they weren't good enough to go on to be a university professor or something like that. Mm-hmm. And but I went on several of these interviews on campus on that day and they were all you know missile launch systems or warhead hardening and you know it's all this stuff that i was just like i don't want to do this yeah can you imagine if that had been the track wow yeah and there was i i you know it's a long time ago but i there was i think there was eight people in our physics department graduating class and you know and so i just remember i went to work and I, and I went to work and I worked at this record store and one of the guys in the record store worked also at a, a, a record importer. Um, and so this was early eighties. So, and so this guy Flo said, you know, well, do you want, we're looking for somebody. And, you know, so I went on that Monday and to this record importer and it was the coolest thing. I mean, the guy that owned it was a scumbag, but it, but it was the coolest thing. Cause we were, here we were, we were like, Reading all the, um, reading all the you know newspapers, the you know the enemies and the melody makers and all the, you know, and paying attention to what was going on in the UK. And the UK was the hot spot at the time, and I was yeah. totally into music. And so, you know, we and I ended up you know becoming the buyer there and dealing with you know all these companies over in England and France and Japan and doing that. And that just led one thing to another. And you know, so um, uh, yeah. But we, then you I had up, a record store. And, oh, you did. Yeah, we ended up, I ended up uh, opening a record store with some, with three friends that quickly became two friends because one of them didn't. You know, it was one of those things like let's ha- let's have a business, but let's not want to work. <laughs> and, I know that business. Yeah, um, but yeah, we had a record store in Santa Monica, and and uh, uh, yeah, we used to MTV used to film. Uh, I forget what the name of the show was, but we used to have live bands playing there, and so mm-hmm. we had. You know, uh, REM played in there and 10,000 Maniacs wow. and Nick Cave and 
Billy Bragg, a lot of people, and and we would, and and uh, they would brought you know the MTV would film it, and so it was kind of a funny time, and uh, and then you know that sort of gets your name out there and gets your reputation out there. And Who's a musician that's really cool? <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> well, I know, but I want one in particular. Like cool as a person? Yeah. Oh, Dave Grohl's like one of the nicest people on I earth. I believe that. He's just. Yeah, Ben Harper is another one. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, Dave Grohl, I worked a little bit with Nirvana, and then I worked with the Foo Fighters through their first two records. Mm -hmm. And he is just, that entire band is just so nice. And they're still together, which says yeah, something, yeah. you they know. They just put a brand new record out. Yeah, yeah. that's right. They were um, promoting it on Saturday SNL. Night Live. Yeah. Yes. And uh, have you seen the little girl who plays drums, Nandy Bushell, uh, the little British girl who plays drums with Dave Grohl? She's, I think, 10. Oh no! I, I will send you the link. Okay. I will put the link on the app. It's so great. He seems like such a nice guy because he's indulging this ten-year-old girl and yeah. they're like doing he this is. great he's stuff. Just, and I worked with I worked uh, for seven years with uh, Michael Franti and Spearhead, yeah. and another just genuinely a hundred percent. There's like a video, you know, because he's he's I have a long history with him, but he's really uh, he's created his own universe yes and I, I you know when spearhead started he wanted so badly i think to be part of this hip-hop culture and he's he's just created something much more so and, positive yeah and there's a video I'll, I'll see if i can send it to you of one of his uh, you know he's sitting under a tree with like i i want to say she's seven or eight a little girl who's just playing guitar and wailing through one of his songs like that's amazing and his look on his face is just of amazement pure yes. amazement yes so but those kind musicians who see something in the next generation who have the energy to yeah to indulge them is so great yeah so great but it was fun it was you know it was a good i left of my own accord <laughs> in yeah. 1998 to go open a bread bakery because you were super you were passionate into this this new phase of life with the yeah bakery. i was just getting to the point where i'd done a lot my big major projects radiohead and the beastie boys and wait 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 so, back up why is radiohead one of your big projects what did you do uh well i was their pro i was the basically the project manager for the bands and okay computer and meeting people is easy and so we went you know all over the world with them and uh, amazing um you know because that first record i wasn't there for the first record um I took them on with My Iron Lung, which was the next mm -hmm. single after the first record. But they, you know, the first record was really kind of a one-hit wonder here in America and um, nowhere else mm -hmm. in the world. And then, um, so when I started working with them, we really started to try to work towards expanding that base. Yeah. And, uh, and we did. And you definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so such a pure sound we were just talking about um rolling stone had its just named its 500 um yep. best albums ever made which is a daunting task but my husband's book club is actually going through each record listening to it instead of reading a book and they're coming <laughs> together tonight to talk about it and it wasn't okay computer that wound up on the list no, kidding. yes which i well okay computer don't... showed up on the last list and i they kind of flip-flopped it to kid a and you know that's okay. That's I mean, Kid A is okay. Computer was uh, groundbreaking and complete. And, it's complete yeah. just the way it is. Yeah, and then but yeah, Kid A was really shifting for yes, them. Yes, yeah, and yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, that 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 was a you know that was a good time. 
I cannot wait to talk to Jake about this. He will <laughs> die. But anyway, yes, I'm sorry to stop you. So you No, so we so in 98, yeah, my big projects were kind of winding down. We were and and also in 98 if you remember um um I always get decades confused. And <laughs> and 98 if you remember, that was sort of the rise of you know, Christina Aguilera and yeah. Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys. The Mouseketeers. Yeah. Yeah. And I, there's, and hey, there's nothing wrong with that, but mm-hmm. I was just, and you know, we were Capitol records. We were looking for our, you know, person. And so, um, it was just time. And so I had this idea for a bread bakery and I was on tour, um, with a band called Everclear and with Radiohead through Europe. But I, so I would go, you know, in my off time, I would go and seek out where these bread bakeries were and go look and pick their brain. And um, I was in New York with Everclear and ended up staying the night with uh, the bakers at Amy's Bread in, mm. in New York and just like being like a fly on the wall and just asking questions. And um, so, you know, we decided, I decided to do that. But also in 98, um, your husband would know this. It was El Nino year. Yes. And so I lived <laughs> in Claremont, which is right at the base of Mount Baldy. And I had a Subaru Outback. And, you know, I had 60 days of powder on that year. So after I left, after I left Capitol, while I was building my bakery, I was snowboarding in the morning. I'd go up and, yeah. you know, Baldy had this locals thing where you could go and you could go and ski by the hour. Oh, like a so, cheap hotel. Yeah, so you get so you go, you know, you pay for a full ticket, but then you'd ski for as long as you want, and then you'd come back to the to the ticket thing, and they'd stamp it, and you'd have like credit for the next day you're going to come. Like in my case, it was like every day because it literally snowed almost every night. And I remember on that year, on the fourth of July, in powder on the top of Baldy. Oh my lord! And so what a life! Yeah, it was awesome. And then we opened, I built. A bread bakery. I, I was in New York, and and I ended up buying one of these ovens that mm-hmm. I had worked on all night long, which was like a big French deck oven. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we learned a lot. I mean, I jumped into the fire and didn't have a clue what I was doing. And <laughs> you know, as one does. Yeah. What made you decide to go from bread to flatbread? And also, what's the? I, I think we should distinguish between flatbread and pizza too. Well, flatbread is a pizza. So, oh, you know, okay. flatbread is a pizza. We just call it flatbread. Oh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> um, no, when I, so when I, so I, I started doing, so I, we had all these, you know, organic loaf breads at my bakery. And then um, I started playing with pizzas or flatbread pizzas. Mm. And we'd do them for lunch. And, you know, I never really took off in Claremont, but, it, you know, we'd sell, I don't know, 15, 20, 25. And sandwiches were our thing, and okay. we were very popular at that. And, um, but then when I got, so I got, I had a particularly rough day at my bakery um, one day, and I came home, and uh, the phone was ringing, and I picked it up <laughs> back when we had landlines. Yeah. And uh, it, it was a executive recruiter, like, you know, had heard about me and sought me out. And it was because of my experience in music, but also in action sports. Cause for whatever reason I got credited and it's not true, but for whatever reason I got credited with, you know, 
putting action sports and music together in live situations, which is absolutely not true. But it's like, you know, I had got the Beastie Boys. Yeah, I'd got the Beastie Boys to play at something. I got the Foo Fighters to play at something. You know, I got different bands to play at, different big name bands to mm-hmm. play at a skateboard contest or at a, a snowboard contest. And, um, and that's how the reputation started. So now you're the expert. And so, you know, it, it, it was a long process, but it ended up, you know, I got offered a job from Burton Snowboards and decided to sell the bakery. And, and we moved to Vermont, which Vermont, of course, is a, a very bread-centric state. For sure. Yeah. And I met a guy named George Schenk there um, who I had a book. Um, I had a, a book called The Bread, Bread Builders by a guy named Alan Scott. And um, he he would do all these little sidebar sort of almost like a study of something like it might be a wheat grower it might be and he had this little missive on George Schenk and George Schenk had a business called American Flatbread out in Vermont which I had totally forgotten about and so one day uh, one day I was down in Middlebury and. It was snowing and it was like, it was beautiful, you know, it was snowing and I had off and I ended up walking it. I, you know, I could smell smoke and it smelled like food and I ended up walking through the door of this like stone building and it was American flatbread and I, and I didn't, you know, I'm like talking to the guy and all of a sudden I realized, oh wait, this is that guy that's in the book. And so, um, I ended up becoming good friends with George Shank and kind of because I had because my background in music was in distribution and because I had a background in baking now, four years of a bakery, you know, I kind of went and was just offering up help, you know, where I could, because I was trying to figure out what my next step was. Um, and so we ended up, I ended up licensing, uh, the American flatbread name and brand. And, Mm -hmm. and we came out here and I launched it here out of Los Alamos. So we actually started as American flatbread, um, and helped build the business and, you know, and, and in building the business bigger and bigger and bigger and realizing it wasn't my business, it really, it was my money and yeah. it was my business out here, but it wasn't my brand. Yeah. Um, you know, we came to an amicable split and, and, you know, and, and two, he was doing things that he thought were right for him, but they mm-hmm. definitely weren't right for my investment. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to rebrand as Full of Life Flatbread. And mm-hmm. so my bakery in Claremont was named Full of Life Village Baker, and it's named Full of Life after one of my favorite books called Full of Life by a writer by the name of John Fonte. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, fiction, and as non-fiction? A, uh, uh, fiction. And so the... And then uh, uh, serendipitous, funny aside, is so my business is named Full of Life Flatbread, and, uh, um, which is not John Fonte's most famous book. His most famous book is called Ask the Dust. But, uh, so anyway, years ago, uh, there was a table, table 21 in front and I, you know, walked up and it was a couple eating and, you know, just to see how their, how their dinner was. And, um, he, the, the husband, you know, we were just talking and he said, so where where'd the name come from? And I, so I told him, I said, well, it's actually one of my favorite books by a writer by the name of John Fonte. And his wife smiled so big and oh. it was John Fonte's son. Oh my gosh, how full circle. And so he and his wife have, uh, 
have been regulars ever since. Oh, and there's, and you know, like so many other artists, um, you know, we talked about Ben Harper earlier, who's mm-hmm. so much bigger in France than he is here. Mm-hmm. Um, John Fonte is huge in Italy. And mm-hmm. so they actually have a, a, a literary um, conference every year. <sighs> and uh, so they've invited me to do that. I, I've never done it, but they, it's just, it's, it was, it's been wonderful to, to see that. Well, and if you go to that conference, I mean, it marries, you know, the flatbread thing and the John Fonte thing. There's a lot of full circle there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Are you um, a pretty avid reader? Uh, yeah, not as much as I'd like these yeah. days, but yes. Are you reading anything right now? Uh, cookbooks. <laughs> Which cookbook? <laughs> yeah, my house is buried under cookbooks. That sounds like a nice so, way to be. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I do, I, I do have, um, I am divorced and, uh, I was able to, I just got back some of my first edition books that, you know, literary books. And, and so I have been reading uh, a book of poetry by Paul Bowles, Mm -hmm. which was always one of my favorites, but the, I just got, um, there was a restaurant in Sweden called Favikin and he was up near the Arctic Circle, like in the middle of nowhere. You definitely had to drive there. To, oh, wait, I've heard about this place. Yeah. Yes. So he closed it uh-huh. last December. And he he had been there 11 years. Mm-hmm. And he decided it was time for him to move on. And, and he wrote a very impassioned piece about why he was closing it. Had nothing to do with business. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it just didn't make sense for somebody else, another chef, to come in and take it over because it was such it's a so uniquely, personal, right? yeah, it was such a unique location and menu and stuff. And um, so he, they just put this. I just got this book last week. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's called Fava Kid, and then it's got the number of days that they were open, like you know, wow. which is eleven years. So mm-hmm. it's ten thousand days or whatever. Yeah. And so it's a book about opening to closing of a restaurant. And I read uh, just yesterday morning. Um, there's a there's a piece he wrote at the end that was written in May of this year, mm-hmm. and it is wrenching mm-hmm. because you know he of course closed his restaurant before COVID, mm-hmm. um, closed it of his own accord, and now you know and he kind of goes through that process and he and he writes very thoughtfully about all the people he knows, you know, he's whatever in the top, when he was open, you know, he's in the world's best top 50 and, you know, stuff like that. Um, But it's a, it's a really exceptionally well-written piece. I read it twice. I was like, I read it and then I was just like, man, that is Hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you ever think about doing your own? I happen to know that you do. So don't lie. If I just had the, yeah, if I had the, time I guess but if I had the every time I start to sit down to do something like that start on a book or something like that I I'm one of these people that will start it and then reread it and think it's stupid and and then do something else and Bridget Benz who's a dear friend of mine up in Paso has co-written and written you know dozens of books and she's been all over me to do something so I actually, and that's I how know. I know. Yeah. She told me, yes. And I, you know, so I, I, I think what was interesting in reading this piece yesterday, because clearly they were planning this Favikin book, you know, before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And when he decided to close his restaurant, he had gone on to he'd gone on to basically write a very encyclopedial uh, massive book of Nordic cuisine, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so it was almost like a research project. Mm-hmm. And then that turned into another one on baking and that turned into another one on travel. And um, I think he's even got a photography book out. Um, so I don't know. I'm just trying to, I, 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 whatever it would be, I would like it to be something that matters and not, yeah. and you know, and I'm a, uh, like I said, I'm a cookbook geek. So mm-hmm. it's like, but not just a collection of recipes. I think that that's changed so much yes. in the past couple decades. Is now it's it's really a marrying of memoir and recipes, or or essays and recipes. Yeah, well, my favorite cookbook is a, a book called "Honey from a Weed," and Patience Gray, and um, which I found at a tag sale. I didn't know they were called tag sales until I lived in New England, but it was basically a yard sale, mm-hmm. and. Um, I bought this book and there's no photographs in it. There's no, it's, and uh, you know, she wrote three cookbooks. This one's really the only one that anybody ever read, Mm -hmm. which probably didn't sell at all. But yet when she passed away, she had, she, her obituary was on the front page of the New York times, you know, and that's how much her writing affected people. Okay. I'm going to look that up. I've never heard it. Patience gray. It's a, I've, I've bought that book for, it's been reissued in paperback, multiple times but I've bought it for so many people yeah and just say here you need to look at this love it yeah if you uh, there's never going to be enough time to talk about everything that I want to talk about with you um, but if you had a big celebration to end your life um, <laughs> you're very full of life life uh, what would you what would you dine on or you know I've never asked this before but what would you serve maybe to people as, as somebody in hospitality maybe that gives you more joy than sitting down and eating something yourself well we talked about that the the book my last meal yes which is I you know you had described it sort of as morbid and I, I but I <laughs> I think it's beautiful and um, I think it's both yeah yeah um and there's yeah that fantastic photo of Anthony Bourdain <laughs> yes, and that and that book, by the way, just in case somebody's listening, is from what I understand, it's it's photos of last famous last meals from and and some not famous from Dun- people yeah, who are. I'm, I'm blanking on her first name. Her last name's Dunia, and uh, she cooks up the meal and takes a photo of it. She asks she asks people what they would have if they had their last meal. Yeah, and it could be. You know, I, I I forget what French Michelin three star who says he wants a cheeseburger. Uh yes, that's yeah. right. Which yeah. is <laughs> so. wonderful. What was Anthony Bourdain's? I can't remember. I just remember that beautiful picture of him <laughs> with oh. the big femur bone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um Well and we and yeah. Before I get into that, you know, we do we do this we uh so when he passed when Anthony Bourdain passed away, he um passed away just a few weeks shy of his birthday Mm -hmm. and so we did a we at at full of life flatbread um i've changed the menu every week Mm -hmm. for the entire time we've been open um on our specials and so that year we decided to do a all bourdain menu and Mm -hmm. so and then we were we did an all bourdain menu and we donated a dollar per dish to the national suicide prevention hotline awesome and we did so well, and, and the response was so great 
that we decided to do it two weeks. And a local artist, a woman, um, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Cheney, um, had painted uh, a portrait of Bourdain. Mm. And so we hung in the hallway. And so between you know, those two weeks and selling her painting, we donated, I think it was like $4,600 to National Suicide Prevention. So we've done this every year now for his birthday, not mm-hmm. his, not the day he bought, he passed away. Yeah. We've done it for his birthday and we've raised over $10,000 Fantastic. for suicide prevention. And we ha- actually have a new painting of Bourdain in the hallway right now. <laughs> that is so cool. So I don't know what, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, um, if I had to be a last meal, you know, it'd be nice to, I'd like it to be somewhere traveling because I like to travel and I have not got to travel at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you had said earlier, go down to LA a lot. I have not been to LA since February. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just, I think about, um, in, in December this last year, uh, I took my wife down to the Valle de Guadalupe mm-hmm. in Mexico and Baja. And we just had a spectacular time. We broke the axle to our car, but we also have a spectacular time. And it, it's, I, I can't encourage people when we can travel again to enough to go down there. And so we ended up, I ended up hitting it off with uh, a guy named Drew, Drew Deckman, who's got a restaurant down there called Deckman's and um, fantastic chef. And so I got a call in January and he invited me to come down and do a dinner down there. And so we ended up doing that was the last time I traveled is we went to Valle de Guadalupe and I cooked this dinner with five other chefs in, you know, Baja. And it was just a spectacular and experience. And so to touch on something you said is I'm not the kind of person that can sit down and have a meal. Yeah. I mean, if I go to a restaurant and I'm going to pay for a you know, meal, yeah. but I would like it to be something like that day, yeah. that day where we were, you know, cooking, it was Drew's 50th birthday. Um, you know, we're cooking in a, strange kitchen outs- outdoors the entire restaurant the entire kitchen is outdoors cool and um you know so we were cooking and i made some bread i did a couple other things you know it was just it was a phenomenal day and you're sharing and you're talk it's like communal and it's, it's yeah we were just having fun cooking together and then you know it, it ended with 200 of his friends coming and you know having dinner and we were able to serve it to him I think and that sounds great. Yeah, that was a really, really good day. Yeah. That was a good day. Well, we'll have to have a part two because I have a feeling we could talk all day. <laughs> okay. Clark, thank you for coming. Thank and, you for and having sharing. me. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to Consumed, hosted by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. You know, this season marks my 70th interview with California tastemakers, and I continue to feel lucky for getting to speak with so many cool people about flavor. As we move into 2021, please continue to lean into your local independent businesses wherever you are. They will need your support more than ever this winter. Thanks for listening and see you next time.